You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Turn to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Let's stand together out of honor and respect to the reading of God's Word. So as it dawns on some of you, maybe very few of you, that I think I heard you do this before, then you'll know that I was honest about that. So you just act like you've never heard it before. And we didn't make a missions application before, but we will this time. John chapter 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Father, I want to thank you for all that has been attempted and done this week. Thank you for what's taken place in the hearts of the people. We can't see that necessarily, but sometimes there is an anticipation and an expectation of what you have done. And I pray that that will be revealed today as the commitment is given and that decision is made. And I pray that this message would help in that decision as we can relate a little bit to what Mary did. And so I use this message to make it clear where our hearts could be and should be and then the response that could come with that. May you be honored and glorified by the decisions made in every individual member and family's heart and therefore in this church collectively. We will rejoice for whatever it is that you do if each person has been true to your voice. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to be sure we understand the setting for this story at this point that Jesus has gone back to Bethany, which was an interesting place because he did a very unique miracle there. He had raised Lazarus from the dead, and, and the, his name became even more popular there than it ever had been. I mean, if somebody raises another person from the dead, the word spreads about that, and, and therefore a lot of people knew about him but that was something that bothered the Jews because the Jews felt like that Jesus was competition. 
they didn't really catch the idea that Jesus was the Messiah that the Jews had always been looking for. All they knew is that he was competition to their religion and their way of life. So after he became so popular in, in raising Lazarus from the dead, they were threatening to kill him. And they were going to take his life and they made that clear. And, and so Jesus left that area because of the threat to his life. But in, in verse 1, he's coming back to Bethany where he was before, maybe to check on Lazarus, to check on his family. And then we find also that this is six days before the Passover and he's coming back for that because that was a huge event in the life of the Jews. The Passover was the biggest event of the year. And so quite likely he's coming back and preparing to celebrate the Passover with them because it was significant. So that's kind of the circumstances of him being where he is. But then verse 2 makes it clear that he's actually in, in the house where Lazarus was. And, and they made a supper for him in verse 2. And Martha served there, it says. And what's interesting is it just makes the point again, Lazarus was actually at the supper with them. And you think, well, that's, that's no big deal. But he'd been dead. I mean, how many... Formerly dead people, formerly people maybe formerly known as dead, have you eaten supper with before? That's a big event. That's a, that's a big situation. And so for, for Mary and Martha to be sitting there with their brother, Lazarus, because Jesus raised him from the dead, that's an important meal to them. It's a time to celebrate. It's a, it's a time to be happy at what had taken place and so they're just having a great time. Martha is serving. But then kind of between the lines of verse 2 and 3, it seems as if while Lazarus, it says, was sitting at the table or sitting there in the way that they would sit in those days around the feasting area, and then it said that Martha served, but at some point in time it seems maybe that Mary had gone back to her room. Again, if we're reading between the lines and the small details that don't necessarily matter, the ones we don't, that we make up anyway don't matter, but I suppose she could have gone to her room and in her room was this vase. And in this vase was an ointment that represented something extremely expensive. And I don't know how she came across this ointment. I, I don't know if somebody gave it to her. Maybe she had worked for so long to earn uh, whatever the value of this was that she had bought it for. But she goes and gets this very expensive ointment that realizing as potentially a, a single lady might have been her most costly possession and maybe the very thing that she was relying on for security for the future because she wouldn't necessarily be one of the highest income earners in her culture. And so this is this very precious possession. And we know that it was about a year's wage for someone at least in that culture and somebody that was on a, a, a minimum amount, this would be a whole year's amount. And so she takes this ointment and then with Jesus sitting there at the table with them, then she takes and anoints the feet of Jesus and she wipes 
his feet, maybe after anointing him in the, the act of the anointing, then she, maybe trying to clean it up, then she takes her hair and she wipes his feet with her hair. I mean, verse 3 is pretty clear. It took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Now, out of all the people in Bethany, here's Mary. And she chooses to spend, if I could use the word lavishly, on Jesus Christ. Because of the cost, because of the expense, because of the, the value placed on this, she has taken it and poured it on the feet of Jesus and then wiped his feet with her hair. And understand even in their culture for her to even let her hair down is scandalous. But somehow she saw in him something so valuable that she wanted to spend probably the most valuable that she had on him. Now, if, if, you, if you'll think for a moment the scene of, of verse 3, maybe she chooses to spend this on Jesus because he had raised her brother. I don't know. But what I want to do is I want to I focus in on the scene. Picture it. Jesus is sitting there, and they're all sitting there together, and, and here he is, and, and maybe his feet out in front of him, and Mary has just poured this ointment on his feet. And so in this scene, if we freeze the frame, then maybe the, the oil is mostly off of his feet, but it had run down onto the ground into the dirt. And, I mean, it, it makes mud. You know, I mean, I know this is, a, this is a very significant scene where Jesus' feet has been anointed by Mary, but picture, picture what actually it looks like. You have this mud around the feet of Jesus, and yes, the smell is, is good according to the text. And then you have Mary, you know, I, I, would, I would imagine maybe a very beautiful lady with, with her hair, but now her hair is all matted. And she's got this matted hair and you've, you've got this, this mud in the ground because of this ointment. And yes, it was very precious ointment, but that was moments ago. Now she has poured the ointment on Jesus and there she sits looking at the post scene with this mess and her matted hair. And if you could freeze that scene at the end of verse 3, that that's what exists by the end of the third verse. And I can imagine Mary sitting there. After the act was over, after that moment, and maybe wondering, what did I just do? I mean, moments ago, I had a year's salary sitting in a vase. And now, it's mud. It's, it's in my hair. And to look at the difference of that ointment in the vase and then the ointment on the ground never to be recaptured again. It's gone. She can't do anything with it. And I can imagine if she sits there wondering, 
Good night. Did, did I get caught up in the emotion? I mean, I'm thankful that he raised my brother and, and, and I, I was so glad to be sitting here with my brother and we, I didn't think we'd ever get a laugh together again and cry together again and, and talk about these memories. But here we've gotten, we've been able to do that and, and Jesus is the reason. And I know that was special, but I, I just got caught up in the moment and, and now this is just wasted or maybe she's thinking, but maybe Jesus was worth it. And she's wondering, did I do the right thing? And what the rest of the text tells us is Mary hears two voices. Two voices give their estimation of what she just did. Two different opinions, you might say. Verse 4. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, and just in case we don't remember which Judas this is, it was the one who would betray him, which should betray him. Here's what he says in verse 5. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? So Judas makes this argument and he makes a very pragmatic maybe utilitarian argument for it. And he makes the point as if saying, Mary, what did you do? Why wasn't this ointment, why didn't you take that ointment and you take it down to the marketplace or we would take it down to the marketplace and, and you could have used this to give it to the poor and at least you would have helped somebody and you wouldn't have this mess in the floor. Look at your hair, Mary. You could have done so much better if you would have taken that vase and you would have gotten some money for it and you could have given it to the poor who don't have a whole lot of food, Mary. Or, or you could have given that money to us and we could have done some good with it because there are times that Jesus is teaching and the people are there and Jesus doesn't want them to go away and interrupt and be distracting and, and hope that they'll come back. He wants them to stay there so he provides food. You could have given us the money and we could have bought food so the people could stay and listen to Jesus. Or we could have put it in the temple treasury and we could have helped the, the services of the temple to go on. But no, you have to go get all emotional and pour your ointment out on the feet of Jesus and your hair's all matted. So what do you think about it now, Mary? Huh? I can't imagine what she felt like after Judas was done making his argument. Because we find in the similar text in Matthew, what we find is that Judas makes that point. And you know what happens? The rest of the disciples agree with him. Because he makes an argument that was even convincing to the rest of the disciples. I mean, we're talking Peter, James, and John, the, you know, the, the, the big three of, of the disciples, and, and they are even taken in by Judas' argument. And, and according to the Matthew text, then, then they all chimed in with that basically. And so can you imagine again the scene with Mary sitting there with matted hair, mud on the ground, and, and this ointment, what's left, dripping off the feet of Jesus. And then here's Jesus' own disciples saying, this is, this is not right. You could have done so much more with what you gave. 
And I imagine she might then be wondering, I made a mistake. And, and honestly, for her to think that maybe this was a really dumb thing to do, I think I got caught up in the emotion. It's not a hard case to make, is it? When it's mud and matted hair. I mean, that's an easy case to make. Man, I, that's right. We, we could have made a whole lot more difference than this. Now, except for, except for one point that's, that's clarified in verse 4. Uh, verse 6, the verse 4 was the which should betray him. And then verse 6, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein. Now, in case you're not familiar with Judas's part in the disciples, that they had no idea at that point in time, he was the treasurer of the disciples, and evidently he was taking some out of the bag, because it says he was a thief, and he bare the bag, and so any money that came in to the bag, then he got a little bit of a share of, because he stole it from the ministry of Jesus Christ and the disciples. And so, get it, Judas is making this great argument but nobody realized what his real motive was behind his argument. His motive was that he wanted some of the money himself. He didn't care anything about Jesus Christ. He didn't care anything about Jesus' mission. He was there to get whatever he could out of the bag. Basically, I mean, he, he was selfish and, and he, he wanted to collect as much as he could. And this was his way to do it. So the other disciples heard the argument and they thought it was a valid argument. But it wasn't until after Judas was exposed that they probably thought, oh man, we made such a big mistake. Because the argument sounded so good and we fell for it. Just because Judas made us feel bad and made, made Mary feel bad for spending so much on Jesus and, and yet he was a thief this whole time and he benefited and the point did make a lot of sense since the disciples agreed. And just maybe by the end of verse 6, when Mary is convinced, what did I do? This is so, I just got so emotionally involved and I should not have. She hears a second voice. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. She hears this other voice, and Jesus has a whole different view of what Mary has done. The disciples thought that they were reasoning it out so well, and they, they thought, man, Jesus is going to be proud of us for, for standing with Judas and, and making a point that this mess should have never happened, that it still should be in the vase and we could use it for something better. And even the disciples who thought it was great, Jesus says to those very disciples, you leave her alone. And, and in this text, we, we only get to Judas, but he's saying to Judas, you leave her alone because she has done something very significant that touches at the very reason I'm here 
and that is to go to the cross and to be crucified and then to be buried and then to give my life. And, and he makes it clear she has done something that touches at the very heart of who I am and what I am here to do. Something even greater than she could realize at the moment because I'm convinced that with all that Jesus had said up to this point, the disciples and Mary and Martha didn't fully comprehend exactly what he was going to do. And so in some ways he's saying she has done this for a purpose that she doesn't even completely realize. She just knows this was the right thing to do and Jesus was worth it. And she didn't even realize the significance of her act until Jesus spoke. And so imagine the scene again with Mary sitting there with this ointment everywhere and wondering whether it was the right thing to do or not. And hearing G Judas declared a total waste. But Jesus say, Mary, this is excellent. You've got the poor always, but you're not going to have me always. And again, in the Matthew text, when he says, this is going to be spoken of as a memorial to her for un until, time, until time ends. Yeah. Yeah. And so now, at least, she has two voices from which to choose after having spent lavishly. The voice of Judas or the voice of Jesus. And this morning you have to do the same. Because many of you have written on a card and you've marked, here's what we plan to give weekly to see people around the rest of the world hear the message of Jesus Christ. And maybe you came Wednesday night and you heard about the, the oath and, and Thursday night about the abundance that God has blessed Americans with so that we can be a help to those who don't have the gospel like we do. And then Friday from, from Job about the one among a thousand who is with the person that needs to know God and needs to understand God. You heard those messages. You heard the, from Brother Padilla yesterday. You heard the testimonies. And then you heard Brother Hendricks in Sunday school this morning and the, the burden and, and the vision and being willing to give up the whatever it might be in your hand here, maybe even your ointment as the cup and then to do something greater and you've decided, boy, I just, I need to spend lavishly on him. And you really struggled with that number. Or maybe you heard one voice giving you one number and another voice giving you a different number. You know, that this, this room is filled with people who many of you at times, you've made decisions to spend lavishly on him. Meaning you have given in the past. There would, be, there would have to be people in this room and that I would have no idea of that give so significantly to missions. And you take a significant part of the money that you receive every week and you commit it to faith, promise, missions, trusting that God is still going to meet your needs and provide what it is that you promised. And you've chosen to spend lavishly. You know, one of the reasons that this church is here, that this building is here, is because people choose to give lavishly week after week after week so that the lights can stay on, so that maintenance can be done, so that there can be somebody here who studies the, the Word of God and can meet the needs of the people. And there can be somebody on staff that will pay attention to the music 
music and help present all of that. And there are going to be people who take care of needs and, and so that you can try to reach the community and all the things that it takes. And there's so many of you who do that. There are many of you who, who give not just of money, but you give your time. And, and this week, you've probably been tempted to think, man, Wednesday night, church, and then Thursday night was church, and then Friday night was church, and then Saturday was, was uh, the, 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 the potluck and the, the banquet time, and now here we are all day and Sunday. Uh, on Sunday, we're in church again, and you, you give lavishly with your time. There are other people who have given lavishly different. The Hendricks have given lavishly by giving their whole life and their family. That's lavish. The Cooks have given decades of their life. The vast majority of their life has been spent trying to reach others with the gospel. Friend, that's lavish. You know, some of you, youth probably came from you came from youth camp in, in the summer and, and you made a decision. You decided Jesus Christ is, is worth it and you decided to spend lavishly. You said, I, I could go play ball, I could go do this, but I find him worth the rest of my life. And you made that decision. And you got to realize there will be times that you're going to hear two voices. In fact, the, the loudest voice is going to come from this culture, maybe even from your flesh. And it's going to say to you, don't you know you could spend that money for something a whole lot better? Don't you have a life? Doesn't your house need repairs? Don't you need a better car? Don't you need to, to buy some, some newer appliances and don't you realize you need to take this vacation or, or that vacation and, and, and they're going to come these times, maybe, maybe come this, Jan, this next January, you're going to get a statement, I think if this church is like many others, you're going to get a statement and it's going to have a number with a dollar sign to the left of it and you're going to look at that and you're going to say, my goodness, I gave that much to the church? To God through the church? I gave that much to, to missions? And you're going to think like, you know, I, I think in, in Lisa and I's case, and Lord willing, this next year we get to pay off our house. Do you realize we could have paid our house off like seven years ago if we hadn't given to missions? And I'm telling you, even as a pastor, there are sometimes this voice comes out and says, you could have paid your house off seven years ago. Imagine what you could have done with all that money. You know, there, there's so many other uses of that. And I'm telling you, you're going to hear that voice. That voice is going to come and it's going to say, why was not this money that you gave to missions used instead for something so much greater? Your kid has this need and, and your family has this need and your house need has this need and you see somebody else drive off in a, off the parking lot in a nice new car and, and yours is making noise and everybody's staring at you as it makes noise as you're driving off and the smoke coming out of the tailpipe or whatever it is or, or, or you have a, a flat and you need new tires and you, I mean, there's going to be a voice says, see, if you wouldn't have given so lavishly to missions, you could have afforded something better. You wouldn't be in this condition. And you're going to hear that voice. But you need to be mindful. Maybe what's the motive of that voice? Because while it might sound good, sometimes you got to stop and realize, wait a minute, what's their point? 
they have really no desire to see that the gospel gets out. They could care less. There's, there's nothing in them that says, well, we care about people in another country living eternally. It might sound good and they might sound benevolent and say, well, I mean, you could be, you know, you could be you know, giving so that people could have food in these other countries and they could have good health care. May I remind you, you, you give a tax to your country and to your state and there are billions and billions and trillions of dollars going to benevolence and providing food and education and health care. There's very little going to provide the gospel. Somebody has to care about them getting the gospel and not just food because you, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, you teach him to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. When you give to missions, you feed them for an eternity. Somebody has to pay attention to that and not give in to the arguments that you got to take care of yourself and you got to take care of all these, these other particular needs. You are going to hear that, but you're going to have to be mindful Somebody's got to care for these things because they don't. And, and for sure, you're going to come to a point where you hear the other voice. And if you'll read it in here, you'll hear it now, but you'll certainly hear it at the judgment seat of Christ because you're not going to get to the judgment seat of Christ and Jesus say, what on earth did you do? Are you kidding me? You gave that much to tell people that I died for them? Didn't you know any better? You know that's not going to happen. It, it is so hard for us to imagine a day that we have no idea when it's going to come, stand before somebody we've never seen, but that's why they call it faith. Because we believe that it says, and what it says, that we get to stand before him one day. And many, many, many other people standing there because there were those who decided to spend lavishly by giving to faith promise and refused to let Judas affect them in the least. Any Christian who loves Jesus Christ is going to eventually make an ointment decision. It'll eventually happen. I can think of those times in which God just seemed to make it clear to Lisa and I, I want you to give significantly. We've never regretted it. Never regretted it. And you won't either. And the only reason you may think you regret it is when you listen to the wrong voice. Would you, would you be sure you give Jesus Christ the priority voice and choose to, to mark something today that is based on, okay, here's what Jesus will say, not what Judas will say. Let's stand together, every head bowed. Father, we want to hear from you more than any other voice. Or not just about giving. I can't help but wonder that maybe this week there was a young couple, maybe a youth, who thought they might have heard a still small voice suggesting that they give the rest of their life to you to be missionaries or to be in the ministry. And maybe already the voice of Judas has convinced them that they need to give to other things that would benefit so much more. Lord, I want to pray for those families who are very sincere in wanting to give to missions, maybe have struggled over the number to give 
and it's gone between the voice of Jesus and the voice of Judas. Lord, thank you for a, a place like this so that we can do our best to filter out all the other voices just for a little while and have a chance to hear from you more clearly than anyone else. And then, God, I pray for those who do choose to give lavishly today who consider you worth it, that you'll not let them wake up tomorrow and go through the day and already listen to the voice of Judas or the next week or two months from now or six months from now. I pray that you'll help them to be very clear in their mind when they look around and maybe they see a mess that a few extra finances would fix. God, I pray that they would still believe that if you were there in person, that you would make it so clear to them, yes, you may have lost this, but you've done something greater than you will ever realize until eternity. Lord, use this invitation time to solidify and strengthen the commitments of your people. I pray in Christ's name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.